This morning, coming from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. This is the word of God for the people of God. Did you ever see that movie starring Tom Hanks called Forrest Gump? Well, it's a great movie. It follows this boy that was born in Alabama with all kinds of problems, a low IQ, then some trouble where he had to wear braces on his legs as a child. But then it continues to chronicle and sweep across the years of his life as he moves through it with a kind of tenacity and homespun wisdom that his mama taught him to soar to heights and show up in places that were truly unimaginable. And he goes throughout his life, through all these different experiences that the movie chronicles, with a good heart, ready to help anyone and everyone that he might meet that is in need. But there's one point in the movie where he's grieving the loss of the love of his life. She has left the house without saying goodbye. He's sitting on the front porch at this crossroads trying to decide what he's going to do. And then his narrator in his voice as he's rocking in this chair on his front porch at the homestead in Alabama, he says, finally, on that day, for no particular reason, I decided to go for a little run. And he said, I ran to the end of the road, and then I ran down the road, and across the county, and then across the state, and I just kept on running. And then the movie shows you how he runs all the way from Alabama to the West Coast. And then he says he sees that ocean. He knew there was another. Maybe he should run over there. And so he turns around and runs back across the country all the way to the East Coast. And now he's been running for a couple of years and people begin to take notice. And the media are coming out asking him why he's doing this. There must be some great wisdom or cause behind it. Then people begin to follow him. He begins to become a savior figure, if you will. People think he must have the answer. He's so committed to doing this, he must know the secret to life. And so they start to follow him and run along behind him. And then it shows him running up a highway with a crowd of people behind him. And you hear him say, I had been running for three years, two months, 14 days, and 16 hours. And then he stops, and the crowd behind him stops, and a hush falls over the crowd as he turns toward them. They're expecting him to 
maybe share the secret to life or at least say something that's deep and profound. But Forrest says, as he always does, something very simple. He looks at the crowd and says, I'm pretty tired now. I think I'd like to go home. And he walks through the crowd. When I read this passage from Luke today that begins with, now large crowds were traveling with him and he turned and said to them, I flashed on that seat from Forrest Gump. The crowd of people standing on the highway have been following him, expecting something profound. I think we can imagine a hush fell over the crowd that was following Jesus and they were ready for another one of his profound parables. But on this occasion, he doesn't tell them a parable. He says something that must have surprised them, at the least maybe shocked them. It's in verse 26. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. I don't think that's what they were expecting. I think they were probably caught up short. I mean, when I read it, it still surprises me, and I've read it quite a few times. Hate is such a strong word. It seems to stand in contradiction to everything else Jesus is teaching. Sometimes reading the Bible can be bewildering. Dr. Fred Craddock now passed on. But he was a seminary professor here in Oklahoma at Phillips Theological Seminary. He was a New Testament scholar and one of the great preachers of his day. He's written a commentary on the Gospel of Luke. And he shares great insight with us. He says that in Jesus' day, the phrase that he used that we have translated as to hate does not mean the same thing. I put it in your outline. He says to hate is an expression in Jesus' day meaning to turn away from or to detach oneself from. We think Jesus was using it the same way, but he was not. In 2,000 years, the way we use the word hate has changed, and now when we use it, it has almost a violent overtone. It expresses such strong emotion of ill will and disdain, almost bordering on violence, sometimes resulting certainly in violence. But Jesus did not use it that way. When he turned and saw this crowd and began to speak to them and to say that you must hate mother and father, brothers and sisters, wife and children, and even life itself, he's saying you must get your priorities straight. You have to decide what you're most committed to. Jesus wants these crowds that are following him to think about their relationships and all of their relationships, including the one of disciple, and consider what they're most committed to, where their greatest loyalties lie, and what they're willing to do in their life to follow him. They're going to Jerusalem. 
Luke tells us back in chapter 9 that Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem. This means this path is going to become much more demanding. It means to be a disciple is wonderful when Jesus is teaching and preaching and healing and feeding everyone, but it means more than following him at that time. And it's just like the scene in Forrest Gump where people have begun to follow Forrest. They don't really know why. They don't know really what's going on. They just see there's a phenomenon and the crowd is growing and they think it may be something they ought to do also. They really do not know where they're going or why they might be headed in that direction. Jesus goes on to explain Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Again, strong words. But then he develops this image, this word picture of a man building a tower. And he says, now if you're going to build a tower, you should think through that before you begin. Oh, you need to lay a good foundation, but you need to think how much it's going to cost, how long it will take. You need to look and make sure you have the resources to carry that on to the final stage, to carry that on to completion, or else you're going to fall short. You will fail. So make sure before you start that you have counted the cost and know what it's going to take to get to the end. This journey he is on is eventually going to, to demand his all and the all of his disciples because Jesus has turned his face and started moving toward Jerusalem. It is the seat of power. It is the place of the foreign oppressors, the Romans. It is the place of crucifixion. And I think Jesus realized that all these people who are following him do not understand And he wants them to think deeply before they follow him any further because he knows it's going to demand a lot. In fact, it's going to demand their all. Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to risk your life? Are you interested in being that kind of disciple? Those are the questions Jesus is asking the crowd. and Those are the questions that come to us today. And when I think about who I know, the people I know who have answered that in the positive, for sure, who have thought about what it's going to mean to do what they're called to do, I think of our first responders. They have thought about what this is going to take. They understand that every day they put on a uniform and go to work, that they may be called upon to risk their very life. They understand they're going to make some sacrifices because of that. They understand that sometimes they're going to suffer in their attempts to help all of us and to help their community. It was several months ago when I was looking at the calendar, thinking about all the different things we might be doing in the coming year, 
that I realized this Sunday was going to be September 11. That this was going to be the 15th anniversary of those terrible attacks on our soil that killed thousands of our fellow citizens and in fact citizens of the world. I began to think, how can we remember? How can we reverently and respectfully remember what happened and yet not get caught in the past and only grieving or getting caught in the past and only fueling the fear that those who perpetrated those terrible acts hoped we would feel but how could we remember and also be thankful and i began to think about what it would be like if we had a tragedy in our community And who would we look to? And of course, it's our public servants and our first responders. Those people who have trained and prepared and planned. So in our worst hour, they're already ready. They're prepared to respond, to come to our aid, to rally around us. I began to think how wonderful it would be if some of them would come and join us for worship and let us lift them up and to say thank you to them for all they do. And all that they might be called upon to do in the face of a tragedy of that kind of magnitude. I thought it would be wonderful if we would all come together in a service of unity. The people of the Boston Avenue Church, our honored guests, any from the community that might want to join us and celebrate goodwill and peace and unity. How wonderful it would be for us to worship God together. I thought that would strengthen us. I thought it will strengthen our character to think about their character. That it would strengthen us and our resolve to think about their resolve. That it would strengthen us in our everyday lives to think about what they risk every day in their lives. And I thought of all that before I ever read this text from Luke. But as I began to read through it, and Jesus begins to talk about counting the cost, I thought that is right. We have to count the cost because character counts. In uncertain and violent times like these, we need leaders with character. We need local leaders who have thought about what might happen, who have thought about how we need to be organized and structured so that we are ready to respond. I'm so thankful that we have leaders who are willing to give their lives to train and plan and prepare so they would be ready to engage in whatever needed to happen to help any of us in a life-threatening situation. I'm so thankful that we have people who put on uniforms and are ready to serve each and every day when anybody in our community calls upon them. There's lots of stories that have come out of what happened 15 years ago today about people who showed such strength and valor and courage and character. I want to just remind you of three of those 
before we close. There was a young man who was an investment banker. He was working on the 104th floor of the South Tower when a plane flew into his building. And when he realized what was happening, he began to remember the training he had as a teenager in his hometown because he was a volunteer firefighter. And so he jumped into action. And there's story after story of people who were cast into darkness and chaos who heard the voice of a young man bursting into their office and giving directions and telling them where there was a stairway and then leading them out and down and out of the building and then going back in. Wells Crowther was this young man's name. He went back in at least three times. He saved some two dozen people. He broke down some doors that were jammed where people were trapped inside their offices after the plane struck and led them out to safety and finally out of the building. Ling Young was one of the women who heard his voice through the darkness and followed him out. And she says, he saved my life. And his picture is hanging in my house with my family. Because if he had not come, we would have all perished because we were frozen and sitting in our office in the dark. He was found weeks later with a group of firefighters who had a jaws of life with them that had headed back up the stairwell when the tower collapsed. I would say Wells Crowther is a person of character. Then there's Officer Moira Smith, who was a 13-year veteran of the New York Police Department. She was married to another police officer there in New York, Jimmy. They had a two-year-old daughter, Patricia. She was on duty that day. Oh, she had shown great valor before. Back in 1991, there was a horrible subway crash in New York City. She was close to the scene. She rushed in. They say she saved dozens of lives, risking her own life in that subway accident. She rushed to the towers when she got the call. Observers saw her go in again several times, just like Wells had done, bring people out and go back into the burning towers. She was the only female police officer from the New York Police Department that lost her life that day because she was willing to go back in to save someone else. I think she is a person character then there's the roman catholic priest who was working in parish church not far from the towers when he began to hear the news he could not believe what he was seeing and what he was hearing father nobaletti said i felt like i had to go and he began to rush toward the scene of the attacks he said before he ever got there he saw injured people coming out 
all of a sudden people began to ask him for prayers or here's a phone number call my family and tell them that i'm alive he began to respond he worked his way all the way up near the towers he was working with people right then and there helping them call saying last rites, saying prayers when the south tower came down he said all of a sudden there was just a sea of darkness and dust and debris raining all around them he said he continued to try to see who he could help and in the minutes following that a police officer came out of the rubble screaming you have to evacuate you have to get out of here the other tower may fall soon so father nobletti began to help people move away from the scene when he said all of a sudden the air pressure jolted him forward and all the others and they realized the North Tower had fallen. He ended up bloodied, covered in ash, but was able to stagger back to his parish, and he survived. He wrote recently about what it's been like for him over these 15 years, and he says what he wants to remember on this commemoration day is the sacrifice and the heroism of those who responded to help those in need. He said that far outweighs the hate of those who are trying to destroy us. He said it was remarkable to see as he was moving toward the scene how business people were coming out of offices, hotel workers, restaurants, people off the street rallying to help others who had been injured in the crash of the planes into the towers. I want us to notice something else, though, about those people of character that went into those burning buildings. They didn't ask about anybody's religion. They didn't ask about anybody's ethnicity. They didn't ask about anybody's country of origin. They were people helping people. They were fighting to save the lives of fellow human beings. I think this was an attack 15 years ago, not just on America, but on the world. By some reports, there were as many as 84 different nationalities represented in several different religions in terms of those who were killed that day. But the fighter, firefighters and the police officers and all who responded that day, I think, had detached in a way, just as Jesus says. And they were willing to give their lives for the good of someone else. I think they're great examples for each and every one of us of what Jesus was talking about in terms of character and counting the cost. Oh, they challenge me and inspire me to think about my role in this society and this community. They challenge me to stand up and do my part. Oh, it may not be the same part. It may not be the same role they play, but we all have a role to play, to stand up, to carry our cross, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to read just a couple of sentences from Father Nobiletti's article. He put it like this. 
I think that each of us in our own way will have the opportunity to experience a 9-11 in our lives when we are called to risk all we have for the good of others, knowing that they would do the same for us. Amen.